about yourself? First of all, I'm still getting over the notion of fanboy, so I, just, <laughs> I, I can't tell you how just heartening and and don't tell my wife because she will not. Hello and welcome to episode 89 of Rockstar CMO FM. The M is the marketing and the F is the well you decide. As you're probably wondering, does the world need another effing marketing podcast? I'm your host Ian Truscott and this weekly podcast serves as my excuse to chat with marketing friends old and new that I've met through my career as a marketing leader and trust advisor and hopefully share with you some marketing street knowledge that we've picked up along the way that will bring out a rockstar CMO in you. Come say hello, we are Rockstar CMO on Twitter and LinkedIn. This episode is recorded on Friday the 19th of November. Thank you for joining us. I hope you've had a good week and you are well safe and staying as sane as you feel you need to be. I'm excited to have Drew Neiser of Renegade Martin as my guest this week. But before that, my chum and Rockstar CMO advisor, Jeff Clark, is in his usual slot. And speaking of usual slots, Robert Rose, my friend and content marketing guru, is in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar. Right, let's get started, shall we? On to our first segment. My chum, Jeff Clark, former research director at Serious Decisions Forrester and Rockstar CMO advisor, and I continue to think about budgets, specifically the smaller marketing team. Welcome back, Jeff, to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you, my friend? I am doing well, and it's always nice to be on the show. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Oh, you're very welcome. No, we're lucky to have you. And um, friend of the show, Irene Nehon Khan, who's commented on LinkedIn about how much you enjoyed the budget thing we were discussing last week. So... I think, you know, you can't have enough of a good thing. So while somebody's given us some good <laughs> feedback, why don't we... We'll keep going. Yeah, why don't we talk some more Let's about Let's milk this one for all we can. <laughs> but what I was thinking about it was, uh, and, uh, you know, listening back to some of the shows that we do, we're a little bit obsessed with large B2B organizations based on our background. So I was thinking, if you're a smaller organization, a smaller B2B or B2C organization, and you're thinking about budget, where, where do you start if you're, if you're in that spot? What say you, Jeff? I, you know, what say <laughs> we actually talk about focus? Because mm. I think that, I mean, one of the things as I mean, you posed this question after our last one, and and, and I was yeah. thinking about it, and and yes, you know, you and I we pro- probably our predominant experience has been in mm-hmm. mid to large size software yeah. tech companies, but but you know, certainly I. I was in small companies both at the beginning of my career and, and I've been doing some consulting with some, you know, um, more recently mm-hmm. and, and, you know, focus just seems to be the biggest struggle. And, you know, you can, you know, when it's like, well, what should marketing be doing? Well, it's like, you yeah. can just, you can just let the CEO tell you what, it, you know, when you're in a small organization yeah, yeah. and whether yeah. you're a startup or whether you're, you're in the early development phases or whatever, you know, you can just, you can just, have the CEO say, well, what should we do? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but the, but really it's like, you know, one of the things that we actually talked about a couple of sessions ago was, you know, there's corporate strategy and there's planning and what are the intersection. And in reality, it's like when you're in those early stages, 
marketing has got to be driven directly from the corporate strategy because you're right. you know there's there's just there's things that the company needs to achieve early in its stages yeah um, and if you're a small company that is that is now looking to grow more then you know what are the kind of those first things you need mm-hmm. to do before you can start to get into mm-hmm. the growth mode and so that's where i think that you know, strategy, corporate strategy and marketing don't become two different things. They become very much, you know, one and the same. Right. And, and, um, so when you, and when you think about the stages of, of, uh, a corporate or, you know, companies development, you know, there's typically, there's a development stage mm-hmm. where, you know, we're just getting offerings together. We're, you know, we're trying to become a business, Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's the startup phase where it's, you know, maybe we've now got, you know, more funding. And so now it's actually, it's time to start becoming a, a real business. Mm-hmm. And then you move at some point, hopefully you move into a growth phase where now it's like, okay, we've got our foundation built and now we need to go into, into growing in whatever dimension mm-hmm. that might be. And there may be a, a variety of ways that that gets executed. Um, then you get, you know, you know, into uh, expansion yeah. phase, and then last is maturity. Um, and it's funny because I was, as I was thinking about this and, and having a, um, a a grandson that I'm going to go, hoping to go see in three weeks, and traveling over yeah. to your side of the pond in in Norway, um, I was thinking, well, it was like development phase is like birth, and then when you <laughs> start up, you're it's like you're an infant, and you're just trying yeah. to like get, you know, yeah. get it all together so you can really start to mature, and then you get into the growth phases, you know, teens, mm-hmm. puberty, <laughs> you know, adolescent, yeah, yeah. Um, before you become, you know, in the expansion phase would be similar to I'm an adult now, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. Um, and at some point I'm an adult that does many different things. You know, I have a family, I have a career, I have, mm. uh, you know, I've got extracurricular activities. So there's like many dimensions, mm-hmm. which is, you know, you're, as you're become a more mature individual, it's kind of like being a more mature organization. So in each of those stages, I think have um, very different things that you're trying to accomplish, uh, and 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 also one of the things I know we last week we talked a little bit about well the sort of the benchmarks about percentage of budget and you know it's like yeah. sometimes you know six percent eight percent is often thrown around and so that makes sense for a company that's right in the middle of this this um these phases of business stages but mm-hmm. when you're early and when you're late it's going to be very different from that mm-hmm. um and so um so you know really and if we if we kind of start with the the development phase it's like a lot of what you're doing is just packaging you know the offerings uh right you know kind of brand basics design you know get a website up a lot of it could be, should be um, dictated by, you know, product marketing, product management, kind of making decisions on how these things come together. And when I say packaging, I just clarify, when I say packaging offerings, I don't necessarily literally mean, you know, what's the box look like or it it could could mean that, but it's, it's like, you know, you got to make sure that these things are described properly. And yeah, no, I know what you mean. And because that, that's one of the things that I've seen when you're working with entrepreneurs We've got these great ideas and great technology. And again, we're sort of referring to technology again, but I guess it's, it's the same with other spaces. Is yeah. understanding the market, 
understanding what how how this this thing should be priced understanding who the audience is how you should describe it the language you should use all of that stuff that's what you're talking about there in terms of yeah. packaging right yeah yep absolutely absolutely and one you know one of my personal experiences i worked very at a very small software company it was it actually was spinning a software company that was spinning out of a, a, a more of an educational organization yeah. and and i was do i was actually doing sales and then because it was hard for me to scale my sales work i started doing marketing like you know putting mm-hmm. together a catalog and we were selling yeah. software uh, but you know putting together a catalog you know putting we didn't it was i hate to say this it was kind of before the internet so we'd have a website <laughs> but yeah. but all those things you know collateral catalogs mm-hmm. uh you know how to how to order things how to yeah. how to you know fulfill orders and stuff like that i mean that's yeah. that's what i was doing and i really didn't have other than my own um you know my own salary and my own um travel yeah. and some print costs and stuff like that i didn't personally didn't have any there, there wasn't like a marketing budget it was yeah. if, if we were saying what was the marketing budget as a percentage of revenue it would be zero <laughs> right. uh you know or at least some some fractional percentage uh and one thing one thing actually uh, i think a um something just to lay out when we talk about percentages of of um you know, what's the marketing budget as a percentage of revenue of an organization um you typically want to include everything in marketing. So people, you know, the salaries, uh, in-sourced and outsourced. So if you had contractors or agencies, you know, all that program costs, tech costs. So it's like anything you can attach directly to marketing. You want to make sure is, is inclusive of this budget when you're doing these kind of, um, you know, benchmark comparisons. Right. But back to the maturity model you were talking about, about where organizations are in their, in their growth. Does that change then where, wh- what you need to budget for and, and how you split? Because, I mean, last time we were talking about where you split your budget and where you focus things. As the company goes through those stages, are you then um, then deciding, oh, well, I need to spend more money on awareness, for example, because I'm at that growth stage? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's, yeah, when you're, so when you start in the development phase and it's, and you're, your budget is basically on producing the pieces, the collateral, et cetera, the, the website. It's when you get into, I guess you'd say you call the startup phase where you're, you need to do more to establish credibility. And so you're layering, you know, and it, it, even though I said at the beginning, it's all about the focus. It's it, yeah. it, it, you do go through this thing where now you got to layer something else on top of that. So, you know, um, so typically if you're establishing credibility, it's like I'm working with press analysts. So it's all the whole influencer uh, marketing, um, you know, set of programs, my, your online presence. So now, you know, you may have established a website. Now you need a, a website that actually is going to help you do more to establish credibility. So, uh, you know, more, you know, whether it's your, you know, papers on certain aspects or thought leadership or your, your, the work that you've gotten out of analysts, any, any sort of, you know, research you've done that you're trying to project mm-hmm. about establishing your credibility. So then that's where I think your, your, your budget layers that on, or you layer that on to your budget and considerations in terms of what yeah. you focus on. Um, it's when you get into the growth phase, I think where you start to, um, 
you start to see a divergence of, of where money may be spent. And again, you want to think back to your focus, but um, if you're, if you're, you know, focus is all of a sudden turns into driving demand, then, you know, it's like, okay, what, what are the demand creation programs? What, and everything that we should be thinking about needs to be tailored to, to, um, to supporting that demand. So, Mm Uh, um, but you know, maybe in a situation like the company I'm working with right now is that they don't, they don't really have a lot of with, for the, um, sales team that they have, they don't really have a lot of capacity to, to, yeah. to accept more demand. So yeah. a lot of what we've been focused is on rebanding, reestablishing credibility. You know, yeah. it, it's like you, they're, they're trying to set the foundation from going the level that they're at to the next level. Right. Um, you know, and we've only you know, the, the, the marketing budget's really only like up to a one and a half percent as opposed to, you know, yeah. something higher. Whereas certainly companies that I've seen that have been, that have been even the same size that, that are in, in a, uh, a stage where they're really trying to drive demand, they may be spending, you know, 10, 12, 15% of their, of their revenue on yeah. marketing, just because there's that need to infuse it. You probably, we need to hire new sales reps. We need to make sure we've got demand for them. Uh, yeah. And um, well, a lot of it when you're early stage is, is just awareness, isn't it? And that can be yes. expensive in terms of as an investment because you're not going to see an immediate return. Right, right. But you, but you know, in particularly, I mean, this where it gets into the dimensions of what what type of market are you in? Are you in a yeah. like the company I was referring to that I've been working with recently? I mean, they're in a very established market of managed service yeah. providers and IT services. Um, if you're in a, a new market going after, um, you know, with a with a you know either a new concept or new paradigm, then yeah. you know there's education yes, to be done. There's yeah. education to be done. Yeah. A lot of awareness uh, and and um, you know and and you know, again, that that might have to, you might have to sacrifice the desire to do more for creating demand for sales reps mm-hmm. to focus on those items before you actually get to the point where your demand creation efforts will actually, you know, yield fruit. Right. Um, and and actually, you know, another organization that I was with that was you know re- relatively small uh, and you know totally different focus at Serious Decisions, which is now part of Forrester. I mean, they're. Their focus, yes, there was a, a bit of a focus on building demand, but it was really more about building a community. So you're 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 now you're mm-hmm. you're flipping over and saying, well, we got to do more about events. We have to have gather data about our customers. We need to do customer advocacy. Um, you know, we need to develop our champions out there. Uh, and so um, you know, so you're not necessarily doing big ad campaigns, and you're not going to events out of what you you know you what you're creating. You know, you're not really projecting much out other than to build other than for the purpose of kind of building that community um but uh, but isn't that i mean all the things we've been talking about and i mean we've often talked about alignment with the goals of the organization of the c-suite and being led by that uh, which obviously has its challenges because then Every CEO knows how to do marketing better than you do. So they will say, we need to be at this show, and it's a bit of a vanity thing or whatever it is. Um, but also, all of the things you're talking about are all great things to do. I mean, every organization should be trying to focus on telling their story well, creating a community around that content, as well as doing all the awareness and stuff. But if you're a smaller organization, you need to pick. So, ha- and, and to use your, your phrase, you need to focus. So how do you know where best to focus? Because 
when you read the Martin books, you should be doing, you know, whoever you read, you're doing all of those yeah, things. It should be, right? Yeah. 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 I mean, I'll, I'll go back to what's the, what's the corporate strategy? Um, yeah. Are we, are we in a mode where we're um, a couple years off from, uh, from a growth trajectory, and so we need to be establishing, you know, yeah. brand and and getting that credibility in the market. Um, or are we at a point where now we're 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 hiring enough people to sell, or we're or maybe we're selling directly through our you know e-commerce capabilities yeah. on our website, and so now we need to we need to focus on those. And actually, a, a, a case study which I think we referred to in, in the past, talking about technology spend, was a. Yeah. was a great one on this. It was a company, Kenna Security, and they, um, you know, new CMO came in and the directive was, we need to grow this business as fast as we can. And yeah. um, I mean, the, the the people I talked to who were more focused on the tech side, they, they basically told the story. It's like, we need to, we need to strip down, you know, not just our tech spending, but our processes, yeah. everything we need to do, we need to strip down to understand what is going to drive demand yeah. for the sales team that we're hiring. So they're, therefore that's where the, the corporate strategy just shift the focus of everybody from the CMO down because the CMO is always asking the, the question with everything. It's like, so, you know, why do we have this? Why are we doing this? What, you know, why are we involved mm-hmm. in these particular PR activities or what? And so when you're asking all those questions, it's a, it becomes a focus factor to get you down to, you know, let's do what is going to, uh, right, right, right. You know, impact support the the, the, yeah. the and make the impact on the corporate strategy. Yeah. Um. You know, and then you know, it's, it, then you know, organizations get into the point where either they're you know acquiring other organizations or they got multiple segments, multiple products. Where all of a sudden it gets back to kind of the things we've been talking about over the past few weeks. Where now we all of a sudden we need to figure out we've got different segments and each of those yeah. segments have their own priority as to whether we're trying to build brand drive, yeah. you know, revenue contribution, improve yeah. customer satisfaction, whatever those, you know, whatever those are. Yeah. But like, but to, to bring it back to smaller companies that haven't got that challenge quite yet. Um, what I'm hearing there is, is you need to look at everything you're doing, ask why you're doing those things and then align them with what those top, you know, it has to be like top three corporate goals, can't it? Because yeah, you can't, yeah spread your budget so thin because you, you haven't got quite so much money to go around. The other you, thing that I thought was an interesting you, point you made there that I've experienced as well is how many leads do you need that you can fulfill with your sales team? So I think some people disconnect those two things and think I must be spending money on, on marketing, but actually you need to look at what the marketing, what marketing needs to contribute in terms of revenue and leads in order to fulfill their sales guys. Now, if they're, if they're all right for now, or they just there's a smaller gap, then you can think about other things to spend your marketing budget on. Otherwise, those leads are just going to die. Correct, absolutely, and that and that's one of the things we're going through. A company I'm currently working at is that it's like yeah. you know we came off an event that generated a bunch of yeah. opportunities, you know, like really solid opportunities, and it's like, well, we're having a hard time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> having a hard time getting the initial meetings because we're just we're all booked up and. Yeah, and, you know, it's kind of a good position to be in. And, uh, you know, but that does tell you it's like, well, maybe it's time. You know, well, you, you've got to figure out what your pace is. <laughs> maybe it is time yeah. to just focus on something else for the yeah. time being. It, but, as, but you know, you got to be, you know, back to even one of the early conversations that, that we had, you know, on one of our former bosses, Grant Johnson. What's yeah. my contribution to the organization? 
Yeah. So, you know, and that it, it's like the contribution may not necessarily be revenue contribution. Mm-hmm. It may be in just, again, reestablishing the credibility, which is kind of one of the things I've been helping this client to do. Yeah. And, you know, I just maybe just keep focusing on that until it's till we're at a point where it's like, okay, now we need to drive yeah, quote, yeah. Unquote, leads. Or yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you're driving like early stage latent awareness that you can trigger later on down the line when the, when the sales guys pick up, because the challenge with having too many leads when you're not ready for them is, is those leads and opportunities die and they never return because you can't knock on those doors again because you've kind of let them down. So, and you, you can also be asking the questions about, well, what do, what do I do to make sales more effective and efficient mm. Yeah. as a marketing person so is it is it yeah is it intel is it you know well, you know collateral yeah. is it what are we what yeah. is it need to have something on the website is it you know, what it, what is it yeah. that is actually going to make their job easier um, and answer more of those questions some of those initial questions that they may have yeah. so they don't need to talk to the sales guy right at that point yeah and i think this is where you need to be as a small organization you just need to be brutally honest with what yeah what you need to do what you can yeah. accomplish and leave the other things, you know, anything else is like, oh gosh, we really need to do this big ad campaign and wouldn't it be great? And it's like, well, you know, put that to the side. That's a good yeah. idea for um, for when it fits into the strategy, but make sure everything's driven by the strategy. Yeah, I like that. And that's a good place to end, I think. I think that focus on strategy and stuff. So I'm going to remember uh, the format of the show this week because I'm going to ask you <laughs> what, <laughs> after messing it up last week, what uh, track have you got in store for us this week, Jeff, that I can rummage around in the record box for? In the record box? <laughs> I, see, I see the stack of 33s and 45s on your shelf back there. Um, <laughs> Mate, some Let weeks it's just put it on the turntable. <laughs> <laughs> well, I so, don't know. I don't know what you how far you're going to go back this week, Jeff. Yeah, really, really, yeah, really. Well, you know, there's a great 13th century uh, medieval piece. <laughs> that, <laughs> um, so, what no, are you going with? Come on, yeah, really. Um, <laughs> so, there's a. So, we were talking about focus. There yes. are a few songs out there about focus, but one thing that just popped into my head last night was Hit Me With Your Best Shot by Pat Benatar. It's 1980, uh, so yeah. it is a little bit back there, but it's a good but it's rock good stuff. Luna about just putting, yeah. getting that focus and hitting with your best shot. I love it. Thank you very much, Jeff. And I understand. Oh, and happy Thanksgiving for next week. So I know you won't be on the show next week. Thank you very uh, much. We'll have to struggle on without you and have the and I hope you enjoy your. Are you having a deep fried turducken or something like that and set fire to your? Porch? No, we're in, oh. we're not. Actually, I'm not exactly sure what we're having because we're uh, again because we're traveling soon after. We're actually uh, not having having a big gathering, so it's going to yeah. be a, it's going to be very simple for us next nice. week. Nice, because I know that the New England tradition is to deep fry a turkey and burn your porch down, isn't it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly was when That's I was right. there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, happy Thanksgiving, mate, and uh, enjoy your week off and week with your family yeah, and uh, eat too much, drink weeks. too much. Yeah, that's
Thank you, Jeff. Another classic rock track. Hit me with your best shot by Pat Benatar from 1980. Let us know what you think of either Jeff's musical choices or ideas for topics we should cover or any thoughts you have on what we've just been talking about. We are Rockstar CMO on Twitter and LinkedIn. And thanks to those of you who have kindly commented. And of course, I'll include all of Jeff's links in the show notes. Right. As a fan of his work and his podcast, I'm excited to introduce our next guest, Drew Dyser, who will be hard to sum up in this short intro. He's had an enviable marketing career, started with the great and the good of New York Adland, learning his craft at JWT and Chiat Day before founding his own agency in 1993 that is now Renegade, an award-winning strategic boutique firm for B2B innovators. Described by Inc. as one of the sharpest minds in marketing, he is a sought-after speaker, writer, and strategist, and has helped dozens of CMOs build unbeatable brands and told the stories of over 400 marketing cats via his top-rated podcast, Renegade Marketers Unite, and his column for Ad Age, and his work on CMO huddles that we'll hear about shortly. Ranked among the top CMO influencers, Drew has been featured as a marketing expert on ABC News, CNBC, CBS Radio, and Tony Robbins' podcast, among many others. Besides Ad Age, he's contributed articles to Fast Company, Forbes, Media Post, and Social Media Today. And now he's here. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I do. Hi, Drew. Welcome to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you? I am great. Thank you so much for having me on your show and for doing this podcast at all. <laughs> Thank you for the compliment. I am I'm absolutely delighted to have you on the show. I'm a big fan of, of your work and your podcast and, and all you do. So, um, And I know that you're incredibly busy with promoting your new book. We'll get to in a moment. So thanks for your time. I really appreciate coming on. Uh, but for people that aren't like fanboys of your podcast and your <laughs> books and stuff, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. First of all, I'm still getting over the notion of fanboy. So I, just, <laughs> I, I can't tell you how it's just heartening. And, and don't tell my wife because she will not let me. And it's like another thing you're not going to be able to get your head through the door. Um, <laughs> so I, I the way I think about it is really I'm just infinitely curious about marketing, marketers, mm -hmm. And Ben Franklin. And that <laughs> those three things help explain why I've run an agency called Renegade mm -hmm. for three decades, why I've interviewed over 450 CMOs, yeah. why I started a community for curious CMOs last year. And I've yeah. read dozens of books on Ben Franklin, America's chief marketing officer. So that's I me. It. I love <laughs> it. And um, and I should be doing this on video because you've got a great set behind you. And like me, you've got the marketing book. Um, bookcase behind you as well. I can see a lot of familiar books there. You're obviously in, you know, a student of this stuff, and you've had an incredible marketing career. Um, but you started off, and I think there's a hint there in in what you were just talking about about your inspiration. Is you studied history. What inspired you to get into marketing in the first place? So, uh, you know, I I study history because I really think that you know it helps you think and it helps you mm -hmm. write, and and I and I love history, and I'm still a big fan of history. And yes, that's the Ben Franklin connection goes right yeah. as a through line. But when I graduated from college, I had narrowed my choices to really advertising and film, and mm -hmm. I couldn't decide. So I went on a camping tour around Europe for a couple of months. And on my return, I looked at all my pictures. And mm -hmm. what I found was more pictures of posters, billboards, and wrapped London buses than buildings and artwork. And so I took that as a sign. Um, pun intended. Uh, that, 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 no, but seriously, and so I, I, I said, all right. Well, I must be interested in advertising, and I had mm -hmm. done some at, at 
at well when I was in college. So I spent a couple of years at a small agency in California, and then I thought, all right, well, this is a juncture. I'll apply to film school or I'll move to New York. Well, I screwed up my applications to film school, another <laughs> sign. So I came to New York, <laughs> excuse me, and I've never left. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's the epicenter, isn't it, of advertising there? And you've worked for some great firms as well along the way, a real um, who's who, really, of, of marketing and advertising. Well, I was really lucky when I came to New York to work at JWT, which at the mm. time was still the University of Advertising. They had a mm. great training program, and I was grateful for that. And you know, going to Shia Day was a completely different sort of like yeah. at, at JWT was all about account work, and mm -hmm. and uh, Shia was all about creative and account planning. And so that really that balance of training has been so helpful to me. Mm -hmm. Well, as a fan of Mad Men, I, do, do you drink old fashions? <laughs> <laughs> no, I am a martini guy. So ah, I've come full, you know, all the way yeah. around back to, uh, you know, what uh, Mad Men were all about. Yeah, yeah. I love it. And, and tell us about your agency now. So Renegade is a, we'll call it a strategic boutique. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, the, the challenge I have is I like doing the work <laughs> and I've <laughs> always liked doing the work. And my least yeah. favorite times in the agency business was when we got so big that yeah. I was disconnected from the work. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so we're, we're a, a small boutique focused on B2B and mm -hmm. uh, we do a lot of brand strategy and content marketing and a lot of market research uh, today, which has been something that I'm yeah. quite passionate about. And I even talk about that in the book. Yeah, yeah. And, and we'll get onto the book right now. And and, uh, and we'll also talk about your podcast in a moment, which is why I love it, because I'm a B2B marketer as well. So everything you talk about is so, so spot on for me. And I also like the fact that uh, when you talk about your book, you talk about the mm -hmm. fact that it's very focused on B2B rather than just applying B2C rules to, to B2B. And I, I was listening to your podcast, you were talking about that the other day. So you've recently published Renegade Marketing, 12 Steps to Building Unbeatable B2B Brands. What inspired the book in the first place? So it's funny, I was thinking about this uh, when, <laughs> you know, before the show, and I, I've been asked this question before, but I realized there was a moment when I was at a client maybe four and a half years ago, and they were really proud. They brought out this spreadsheet, which had 12 personas, and it was all in like eight point type and oh then my God. details underneath it. And then core messages and next message and other mm -hmm. message. And, you know, it was a kind of, and they put it up on a, on a slide with a big group of people that no one could read. And mm -hmm. I thought, Oh my God, how are sales people supposed to, rem they're supposed to memorize this and use it. Wow. And then, and then their media plan looks similar. It's like, Oh, we got 12 personas. So we got 12 messages yeah. against 12 groups. And wow. it was literally like they were marketing 12 different companies. And so wow. that was a moment where I wondered this, it was like a, this light bulb went off and said, this is way too complicated. And I wanted to understand if that was an aberration or that was really right. what was happening in B2B. So we fielded a study uh, mm -hmm. about 2019 just to see, is marketing getting ridiculously complicated? And 90% yeah. said, yeah, 12, I mean, literally in the last 12 months, it, the level of complexity had gotten out of hand, but yeah. there was no correlation with effectiveness. Right, right. So- that gave us a problem to solve. And so yeah. we said, all right, can we create a process that would simplify B2B marketing? And we developed it and we tested it and we tried it on our clients. Don't tell them that. And then we tried <laughs> to break it and we tested it some more. And once we had a process that we thought would work that radically simplified it, I said, okay, mm -hmm. now we can write the book. And 
the book was almost done right when the pandemic hit. And so at that point, I put it on pause and said, you know what? This is a game changer. Is this still going to be relevant? Mm -hmm. I kept Mm -hmm. doing interviews. And what we did was we took the book, which was 45,000 words, reduced Mm -hmm. it to a 15,000 word, what I call the mother of all blog posts, and just put that on our website. Right. Well, that turned out to be a huge hit. I mean, literally, we get thousands of organic visitors like every every day. Just, and that's kind of cool. But it reinforced our thinking this was a valuable piece of IP. Mm -hmm. So, anyway, fast forward to October when we launched the book. Mm -hmm. um, I had another, gosh, 50 interviews to reinforce it, to build it. And uh-huh. I made some adjustments as a result of what happened during COVID and insights that I think made it really stronger. So anyway, that's a long way of getting to um, Renegade well, Marketing. No, I think it's great. And I'd, I'd lo- I mean, if we had time, I'd love to drill into all of the 12 steps, but um, I would encourage people to take a look at t- t- take a look at that and listen to you talk about the book as well, because there's so much in it. And one of the core themes, which I think came from, if I remember you talking about this correctly, you talk about cats, and that was one of the core themes that came from your first book. So <laughs> what do you, why are you obsessed with cats? Well, you know, it's funny. I don't own a cat. We had two, but they're now long gone. <laughs> um, we have a dog, French, French bulldog named Louis, who does come mm-hmm. up on the show because he tends to jump on me in the middle of a podcast. <laughs> yay, yay, work from home. Um, but uh, – So what happened with the first book, which was the CMO's periodic table, is basically 64 interviews and and really an interesting book, but it it Mm -hmm. people said, okay, Drew, I can't wrap my mind around 64. What what are the characteristics of successful CMOs? And that's when I started developing this CATS framework. And you know, over the years since uh, that book came out in 2015, I've sort of developed more reinforcement that is more and more and more true, right? Yeah. Um, and so this book, I literally used the CATS framework, which is, uh, but, and, and evolved it more. So instead of yeah. just courageous, it's courageous strategy. Instead of right. just artful, it's artful ideation. Instead mm-hmm. of thoughtful, it's thoughtful execution. Instead of scientific, you know, it's scientific method. Um, right. But all of those pieces, those four things, if we, again, we talk about radically simplifying b2b marketing and i say to a cmo hey what are you doing that's courageous let's talk about you know your your artfulness in terms of internal and external communications let's talk about your thoughtfulness and are you measuring it i got it covered yeah i love it it's really and so the there's three steps within each of that framework and Mm -hmm. it's purposeful in its in its evolution, like you have to be courageous as a marketer yeah. for, you know, let's, if you're not, you don't look, stand out. yeah, I mean, and by too, the yeah. way, let me give you one fact that really inspired this book too. In that same research I mentioned earlier, we asked marketers, what percentage, uh, you know, uh, is your brand distinct from your competition? I'm sorry. Is your product distinct from your uh, mm-hmm. competition? Um, 60% said yes. We go, oh, okay, that's good. And then you said, is your marketing distinct mm-hmm. from your company? And only 40% yeah. said yes. Yeah. And it's like, what? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is yeah. a moment. And that shows just a lack of courage. Yeah. And so yeah. that's kind of fundamental. And then at the other end, the scientific method, it's like, if you don't have the metrics in place, if, and, and by the way, there is such a thing as too much metrics, too much automation. Yeah. Um, yeah. And if you're not testing, you've got all these problems. So 
again, we tried to radically simplify. And if we just focus on cats for a moment, that's a framework. And then we'll get you to those 12 steps uh, within the cats framework. Uh, Yeah, I love it. I love these simple things. It's like um, in my own work, I talk about the objective of marketing being to create art, which is awareness, revenue and trust to do exactly that, to try and crystallize things into a few simple words that you can then build a strategy on and I, I love that I love that courageous thing and I love it about the differentiation <laughs> I could talk about that with you for just an hour I mean <laughs> uh, in in the past I've I've um I've put copy up for because I'm B2B as well I've put copy up from competitors alongside the copy that, that the the client has created and said can you spot the difference which is yours and they can't see themselves in their own copy. And I think if you can't see yourself in your own marketing, then something's going wrong. Anyway, I've digressed, haven't I? I knew I was going to do this talking to you, Drew. Um, but a lot of this source material, and um, you talk about the hundreds, is it 450 conversations? Yeah, I actually, had? I've been using that number and I actually <laughs> do keep track. And I think it's actually now over 500, but let's stick with 450. Wow. Yeah, you've had, uh, I mean, so uh, not all on your podcast or just in your research? No, or? only at so, uh, only. Uh, I think podcasts were like 265 or so, but I did a hundred plus, actually I did 200 interviews before I did my podcast. So there wow. you have it. Wow. Um, and, and what's, um, and what's the name of your podcast? You just recently changed the name. Haven't we you? did. We changed it to Renegade Marketers Unite from Renegade Thinkers mm-hmm. Unite. Cause we wanted to have some consistency between the book and the podcast. It, nice. it was an awkward shift, but it's worked out. <laughs> Right, right. So yeah, if you go to our website, you'll see the last five episodes since uh, two sixty are Renegade Marketers Unite and any yeah. the two fifty nine. Well, anyway, it'll be no one will remember <laughs> Renegade Thinkers Unite in another five or ten episodes. So you've, I mean, if it's a weekly show, doing the math roughly in my head, what have you been doing it for? Like five, six, seven years, something like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And, but and, you, you know, I think what's interesting about sort of how I got there. And it's completely consistent with the craziness of my sort of when I have a creative burst or do something interesting, it's almost yeah. always because there was a crisis. <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah. literally, yeah. oh, didn't get in film school. Oh, go to New York. Oh, <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, so this is in 2008 um, was a, a crisis that of my own making, by the way. I decided I was going to buy Dentsu out because our largest client was leaving. Dentsu was a partner that helped start Renegade. And our largest client was walking out the door. We got stiffed half a million dollars. And of course, we were about to enter the worst recession since 1929, which I didn't know, but it looked pretty Mm -hmm. bleak for us. So I said to my team that, you know, let's focus on B2B, let's focus Mm -hmm. on content, and we're going to be really good at content. And in order Mm -hmm. to do that, I'm going to write an article every week. And in order to do that, I better start interviewing. And so that got me to start interviewing CMOs. uh, And I also knew that, look, if I'm interviewing CMOs, there's a decent chance that maybe they'll want to hire us. So Mm, it's exactly right. And uh, we have a good conversation. So anyway, that's been, and it's evolved uh, since, you know, I started as articles and then I went, oh, wait, I should have a podcast and uh, I'm doing the work anyway. Why not get more value out of it? And and so, and then last year we started a live streaming show and yeah yeah i love the and and i love the way you repurpose all the content as well the live streaming show comes on the podcast and we were talking about that before i hit record but also the fact that your podcast has got a purpose because i think a lot of people just do these sort of random acts of content like create a podcast or a blog or whatever but they don't think about why they're doing it and i think 
the fact that came out of a crisis, I mean, a little bit is similar with with this podcast. It's it's a lockdown project. I'm only on episode 89 when we when we publish this one on, on Saturday. Uh, so you can imagine. So it's only like less than two years old. So uh, it's it was and it was an it was my need to talk to people every week. You know, make sure that I have conversations like this every week because they they become harder when you're not going to events, and you're not exchanging with people. So I think the purpose purposefulness of your podcast, I think, is great advice. But also, it's not just uh, your podcast you get all your inspiration from. You also run CMO huddles as well, which I find intriguing. And you've you've spoken to. Um, I was talking to Christopher Willis, the CMO of Acrolinks, on this show just a few weeks ago. One of my favorite conversations. He was also talking about um, CMO and Chief Revenue Officer, and he calls himself the Chief Pipeline Officer, which is a topic I've heard on your show too. Um, and he was talking about the CMO huddles. Tell tell us about the CMO huddles. So another crisis baby. So yeah. at the beginning of COVID, mm-hmm. I got the team together and I said, I don't know what's going to happen to the agency. I mean, you know, everybody's going to stop spending. We know that will happen. Is yeah. this going to behave the same way as 2008? I don't yeah. know. But here's what I am going to do. I'm going to reach out to a core group of CMOs that I know that are no doubt really suffering right now with a lot of yeah. crises and just see if they want to get together. Yeah. So April 1st, 2020, we launched CMO huddles just as like a, a refuge, uh, if yeah. you will, between April 1st and October 1st, we met 55 times. Wow. I mean, it's unbelievable. it was unbelievable. And we were yeah. meeting weekly and, you know, people were in their laundry mm-hmm. room because they couldn't, you know, they had kids mm-hmm. at home and it, it was, yeah. um, and by they told me by October 1st, 2020, that there's a business here that we really need to formalize it. And so we mm-hmm. launched it as a business, uh, October 2020. We now have uh, well over 90 member, you know, huddlers nice. in our community. Mm-hmm. And it is the most purposeful work of my career. Yeah, yeah. And what sort of things do you discuss? You get together and you have a topic and you you go over that topic, do you and share? Yeah, yeah. No, it, it's... um. So each month we do have a topic of the month mm-hmm. and uh, which is typically something that I hear in the month before mm-hmm. that's resonating or comes mm-hmm. up on our Slack channel a lot. Um, nice. But every um, huddle starts with the first 50 minutes is uh, we talk about pressing topics and there's always yeah. a pressing topic. Someone says, yeah. hey, I went to an event the other day and there were only vendors. What? Are you experiencing the same thing? Yeah, hey, we're yeah. having, and we were a bellwether. I mean, I heard it mm-hmm. from the huddlers about uh, in June about the uh, great resignation. And so we yeah. had in, in July, we focused on recruiting and retention way wow. you know, early in this mm-hmm. cycle. And that's the idea. If there's a big issue that's come up, yeah. let's workshop this thing together. And, yeah. and that way, uh, I mean, you know, and these are amazing CMOs who are yeah. helping other amazing CMOs. So yeah. just to be in the middle of that is incredible. I can imagine. I know a few of them. Um, we were talking before the show and our prep. Um, <laughs> uh, a couple of people I've had the good fortune to talk to here and work for as well that you, you've had, you've got in the huddle. So I would encourage people to go look at that. Mm-hmm. And just on that, and and also, I mean, I should really talk a bit more about your book as well. Which is, <laughs> but um, what do you what do you think are the top themes that people need to look at as CMOs? Or seen as marketers right now that's coming through from either your interviews or your huddles? Well, I, you know, and I talk about this in the book, I think market, marketers are, 
are everything's backwards right now yeah. is that they think about uh, prospects, customers, and employees in that order. And in the book, yeah. I talk about this. It's got to be the other way around. And not, there's never been a time where that's more true. True. You know, no CMO is successful without a great team. True. You know that. Everybody knows that. I've heard that on oh, your yeah. show. But besides that, yeah. right now, thinking about retention and recruiting and how mm-hmm. that there's a through line to the employer brand, which has a through line to the regular brand. Mm-hmm. I don't know how a CMO can not have right. uh, be focused at. And then customers, and that came out through the through the crisis, yeah. right? If yeah. we're not focused on that, was the low hanging fruit. Yeah. Um, but are we going to learn a lesson from that and say we always have to take care of our customers? And then you have prospects. So th- yeah, that to me is probably the biggest theme is flip it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. And yeah. you know, in order to do that, you really need your CEO to buy in and the board mm-hmm. of directors to buy in to say happy employees equal happy customers, happy customers mm-hmm. equal easy acquisition. Yeah, yeah. And, and so you so, so much of what we do has to, we need buy-in, right? So I think it's um just let me have a glass of water there. But um so and so much of um so much of what we do um needs buy-in. So how how are you finding and we're um, we're coming up to time, so but I'm really interested in this. How how are you finding your CMO huddlers are able to communicate with the rest of the, the C suite to make that change happen? Because that's quite a significant change, isn't it, in the way people need to think. Yeah, and you know, so one of the things, and I talk about this in the book and we talk about it in huddles, this chapter yeah. is called Welcome We. And it yeah. really is this notion that marketing doesn't exist. You know, obviously yeah. it's dependent. This is why the job is so hard. It's why I have yeah. empathy for CMOs is yeah. you can't take a step forward without the CFO, without mm. the CRO, without mm. the CHRO. True. So what, you know, those relationships really matter. And yeah. You just have to forge those so that the mm. CFO knows how to measure the budget and defends you. So yes. it's not the CFO you go in and they're the antagonist. I mean, they've yeah. got to be behind you because they helped you build the model, right? Yeah. And yeah. and so these are the kinds of things that, and we workshop those in huddles, literally our super huddles will bring in three CEOs and talk about their nice. relationship. And yeah. then in another super huddle, we brought in three uh, CFOs. And then the next one, we have three CROs because, you know, it's such an obvious thing, but again, they don't think about it. And it's no. worse now if you're not sitting next door to these people. It's yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by this. And that's also going back to your cats thing, because the CFO loves it when you take that scientific approach, right? If you're doing everything courageously and artfully, then you know you're not going to get very far with the CFO. You've got to hit each of those four pillars, haven't you? You've got to be scientific. You've got to show process, and you've got to show return, and you've got to show that you're engaged in the same and you speak the same language as these guys in that what they're trying to achieve with the company as well. I think that's excellent. Anyway, I'm going to get onto our final question because I super appreciate your time. Um, we have a regular feature on Rockstar CMO, the Rockstar CMO swimming pool, in a tribute to the old rock stars that chuck things into the hotel swimming pools. And by the way, I interviewed a young CMO who'd never heard of this, by the way. <laughs> it's our portal to hell for all the snake oil, BS, and overhyped trends that plague this industry we love. What about marketing would you throw into the Rockstar CMO? So th- this one will be really controversial, but I sort of touched on at the very beginning. Yeah. I'm ready to throw personas into the pool. I and- love it. And here's why. So I think they do more harm than good. And mm-hmm. marketing is what's happening is big ideas are disintegrating. Mm-hmm. And they now what we're leading into is this peanut butter effect where yeah. 
brands are getting small, spread too thinly, right? Yeah. And by the way, this isn't just opinion. I mean, Brent Adamson did this research, you know, he's a Gartner analyst, uh, where if you have a different story that you're telling to each of the members of your buying committee, and these days that can be 14 different people, you are 2.2 times less likely to make the sale. We're talking wow. B2B, long sales cycle, lots of people. So, wow. and the whole point of personas is so that you can sort of develop these separate messages uh, yeah. to these separate groups. So I'm not saying that it, you don't need to know your target really, really, really well, but mm -hmm. I'm saying that personas have led to disintegration and yeah. we need integration. You need one big brand idea and you need to find a way to tell that to each yeah. of these individuals. Yeah, I love it. And the moment you said that somebody had 12 personas, I was like, geez, you know, like- That's not unusual. No... Yeah, I know. And you can't spread yourself that thin. And so much work goes on to discovering the persona and doing all that stuff and not enough on developing the, the, the story, the main story and the content that, that, that you can tell across the board, right? So, yeah. And, I, and by I, the way, this is different than personalization. Like I'm all uh -huh. for, like you did your research before you did this interview. Yeah. I did my research before it. So we yeah. knew each other a little bit well through it yeah. so that we could have some camaraderie in a conversation. Yeah. That's what salespeople do. That's yeah. different than persona. Absolutely. Persona says every CFO is like this. Oh. Yeah, yeah. And so they memorize this thing and then they present it and it's like, no, he's a no. human being. If you if we're talking personalization, great. If we're talking yeah. personas, throw them in the pool. <laughs> I love it. They're in, man. They're in. Thank you very much. And uh, when people um, spin the dial on the interwebs and they're looking for, for Drew, where are they going to find you? Uh, probably best place is renegade.com or LinkedIn or anybody can email me, Drew at renegade.com. Uh, and I have a special offer to your listeners. Anybody who wants a review copy of my book, uh, well, let's put it the first 50. Um, I'm happy to send them a copy either digitally or uh, physically. That's beautiful. Thank you, Drew. And, um, uh, and and I look forward to speaking to you again. I look forward to um, finishing off your book, which um, which is excellent. 12 Steps to Building Unbeatable B2B Brands. And I hope to speak to you again soon. Thank you very much. And thank you so much for having me on your show. You're very welcome. Cheers, mate. Bye-bye. Thank you, Drew. Since we recorded that a couple of days ago, the copy I purchased of Renegade Marketing, 12 Steps to Building Unbeatable B2B Brands has arrived from a well-known online purveyor of things, and I'm enjoying it so far. I will, of course, include all of Drew's links, including to his book, in the show notes. And if you want to hear more about his book, look out for one of my favorite podcasts, Doug Burdett's Marketing Book Podcast, where Drew will be a guest in the next couple of weeks. Right. From one sharp marketing mind to another, let's stop by the Rockstar CMO Virtual Bar and grab a cocktail with my friend and content marketing guru and chief troublemaker at the content advisory, Robert Rose. Good evening, Robert. What are you drinking? Ah, hello, my friend. It's good to see you in the bar. Mm -hmm. And it's good to see you in the bar on the cusp of, well, I mean, an American holiday anyway. Yeah. Um, we're coming up here on uh, American Thanksgiving, Yep. Um, which I'm sure 
all of you in the UK go, okay, so what? What? <laughs> Who cares? Well, we um, celebrate Black Friday now, apparently. So. <laughs> oh, yes. Well, that is true. That is true. Yeah. Um, but there is no sort of, there is no, you know, so the Canadians, mm -hmm. correct me if I'm wrong. The, I know, I, I do know that the Canadians sort of make it a holiday mm -hmm. because they're like, oh, the Americans are yeah. off. So we might as well take it off too. Yeah. But that doesn't happen no. in the UK, right? It's just next Thursday is next Thursday, is, right? Yeah, that's true. And okay. anybody that works for an American company gets some work done. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. That's exactly right. Yeah, you'll get uh, you'll get plenty of reprieve from the, uh, the noisy inbox for sure. Um, in any event, yeah. So thank you for coming to the bar. It's mm -hmm. it's fun. We're 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 you know I'm in a little bit of a holiday mood, which is nice. My work has ramped down significantly mm -hmm. um, in the last day or so. So. I thought we'd bring a little bit of a Thanksgiving drink. Of course, why not bring yep. a Thanksgiving drink to the table here? So I'm going to have for you um, what, what I'm calling a pecan pie, or as they or or as they say in the South, pecan pie, mm -hmm. um, uh, martini. Oh, and I know that sounds really weird, but hold with me. Um, so uh, pecan pie, of course, being one of the staples of American Thanksgiving. Yeah, and. It's a really simple drink to make. Um, basically, you just take a little brown sugar mm -hmm. and pecans and crush that all up into a nice little dust kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and then you put that into, you know, put that on a paper towel or something like that so that it's going to rim the glass, basically. Mm -hmm. And then you use a little maple syrup to put across the rim of the glass to get it sticky. You make your rim with your sugar and your pecans. Then you mix up your martini, which of course is in this case vodka. And I know a classic martini is gin, and I'm much more of a gin martini guy myself. But uh -huh. vodka works better in this particular cocktail than gin. Uh -huh. And then a little Irish cream, um, and of course Irish cream is Irish cream because yeah. anything that has the word Irish in it has alcohol in it. Mm -hmm. um, and so you <laughs> put that in, and you have a delicious, a delicious after dinner. Uh, martini that is just absolutely delightful. That sounds perfect. I was thinking when you were saying, I like both of those things, martinis and pecan pies. I never knew you could sort of combine them, but you're the master mixologist. I love that. You can put all that stuff together as beautiful and um, and you can skip if you're not, if you're nut sensitive or anything like that, you mm -hmm. can simply skip the pecan and just do the brown sugar across it as well. Well, talking of skipping things. <laughs> yeah. I'm, speaking of that. <laughs> speaking of that, let me see what I have on my desktop bar. As yeah, I'm going to guess you don't have pecans, and, nor do you have brown sugar. No, but I have put some ice into a glass. That's, so that's... probably the one common ingredient here, except <laughs> this is a martini and doesn't actually have ice, but you, you do you. That's instead of my pecans. Or pecans. Um, that's like... Pecans. Pecan, well, you've got pecans, then you've got pecans, yeah. which is the way they say it in the South where I grew up in yeah. Texas and elsewhere. Yeah. And then you've got pecans or pecans, um, how Americans in normal parts of the world say it. Normal parts of the world. <laughs> well, yeah. I'm, I'm sticking with the, um, I'm going to go with the um, gin martini idea. And I have here uh, again this week, uh, still with Bombay Sapphire. So a bit of a bit of Bombay Sapphire. Ah, uh, well, uh, again, as I've said on uh, weeks on end, at least you, you have this. you've 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 upgraded your gin. So so I've gone through sips. Hello, Bombay Sapphire people. You need to sponsor this show. <laughs> I've done spit. I've done two different kinds of Hendrix. I mean, we've done about 
80 of these now <laughs> and uh, my and much to the chagrin of some of our listeners or to our listener I still haven't extended my uh, desktop bar so guess what I'm going to put in instead of um, whatever it is else you were putting in there the uh, the Irish cream I am going to put in some uh, non-Irish tonic, uh, which is uh, brought to you by the fabulous people of Fever Tree Cucumber Tonic Water. Again, potential sponsor. There you go. Let me give this that a is, try. That, that, that is as unmartini as it comes. Oh, but yes, the... I would give thanks to that, my friend. That's And I could drink Man, these. I would give thanks to that. <laughs> I would drink these every week. <laughs> Very nice. Thank you. And what do we call that? We call that the pecan pie mm-hmm. martini. Mm-hmm. Very nice. And we've been doing this so long. I think this is our second Thanksgiving show. So uh, is that right? Yeah. All right. Well, there we go. So where, yeah, well, of course, it has to be if we've done eighty of them. Yeah. So where are we going to be giving thanks this year? So here. So uh, I was inspired by the Irish cream in this, mm-hmm. and there is a place uh, in Ireland that mm-hmm. I absolutely want to go so anybody out there who wants to buy me a quick vacation um <laughs> to ireland i will be more than happy to accept a trip to uh, maybe you've been there um drumoland uh castle oh no i haven't i've i've been to dublin okay and um that's, that's in ireland yeah, yes that that's, you, 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 it does count <laughs> um <laughs> Drumland is in the uh, the castle is in the southeast of Ireland near uh-huh. Limerick if you know where that is. Yes, um, and it's a five star resort there, and it looks absolutely spectacular. And I happened to be looking at it only because I was looking at Thanksgiving things, <clears throat> and they have a whole special thing for Americans to go and spend Thanksgiving there in, in nice. the southeast of Ireland and. It just, I mean, of course, Ireland is spectacularly beautiful. Mm. Um, and so, and it's one of my favorite kinds of environment. So yeah, where yeah it rains. we have to go there, sit in this five-star, five-star resort yeah. and, and drink these pecan pie martinis and it. have good heady discussion. Yeah. We may get some funny looks when we, when, when we, ha- we aren't drinking the Guinness, but, uh. Well, that's not, that would be first, right? We, <laughs> we, we would finish the evening with these. <laughs> these we, we would start the evening with a good, I like a, you a think, proper Guinness. Uh, yeah. I like you thinking. I suspect that that evening would be something like Guinness and some really nice red wine, man, you, and then some really good cocktails. So. Oh, there we go. Yeah, exactly right. And exactly I've seen right. there's a roaring fire or something sure. in this picture. Yeah, although you know, I'm not sure about the food. I mean, mm. you know, the well. Anyway, I won't. I won't disparage Irish no. cuisine, but but uh, yeah, it's. Um, yeah. I, I'm sure potatoes would be part of it. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> so and uh, so we're uh, we're in. I'm envisaging wingback chairs, big roaring fire. And <laughs> there we go. Yes. And we're uh, and we've deer heads on the wall, the sort of thing. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And and uh, what um, when when conversation turns to marketing, what would we be discussing? Well, it, it's it's. I, I'm inspired this week by a, a, a friend of mine who who sent me an email, and basically the subject line of the email was, uh, "It's time for a change." Ooh. And I, you know, of course, intrigued. Yes. And she was telling me that she was going to become part of this great resignation 
thing mm-hmm. that I'm sure you've heard about. Um, well, as I started there. a new job on Monday, I guess I was part of it. There it is. Well, there it is. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, exactly right. Well, this is going to be, yeah, that's, that's actually a really good point because yeah. this is going to be right up your yeah. right up your alley given given your latest adventures. Yeah. Um, and so this person is not you. Right <laughs> um, One day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and so... Uh, basically it was, uh, it was a friend of mine who'd been hired as a content strategist. Mm-hmm. Um, and the entire reason that she'd been hired, uh, two years ago was because they were doing this new digital transformation and creating all these digital owned media properties. And, and they had hired her to come in and, and help with that and strategize and put it all together. And instead they, she found herself two years later, basically relegated to writing, sending and measuring sales enablement emails. Oh, wow. And so she was telling me she and, and I, I thought this was comment was really interesting and provocative. She said, "Look, I don't think that that works unimportant, right? There is there is a real need for that in this business. It's just not what she was hired to do, right?" Yeah. And so she wasn't disparaging the work as much as she was saying, "Look, this is just not for me." Yeah. Um and she was paid well, very well, in fact. And in fact, you could say she's overpaid for, mm-hmm. you know, writing sales enablement emails, but she really questioned what she wanted to do. And, and the interesting thing was that she was really grateful for, and this is sort of why I picked this story to tell Mm -hmm. um, on this particular episode was her gratitude about having the ability to make it. And what it reminded me of was uh, I was, uh, you know, there's a great book uh, by Peter Drucker and it's called management challenges for the 21st century. And Mm -hmm. in that book, um, he he tells this very similar story, which is when he quit his job as an investment banker, and he went on to become, of course, you know, mm. business guru, marketing yeah. guru, and 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 his own sort of um, celebrity, as it were. And he said he quit his job as a very successful investment banker because it didn't match what he wanted to do. As he's very famously quoted as saying, "I saw no point in being the richest man in the cemetery," mm-hmm. and. So it's that thing that uh, these abilities to make changes, it's, it, 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 there's this thing that I've been calling sort of the, the, the bandwidth of change, right? The, you know, really our level of abundance or our level of, uh, you know, our ability to be, you know, wealthy is probably the right word for it is really a, a correlated with our range or our bandwidth of our ability to make choices like this mm-hmm. right and of course those those that bandwidth is highly dependent on all kinds of things right our confidence our talent our yeah. skills certainly our economic and other privilege that we have um in other words it's a lot easier to, for some people to make this you know mm-hmm. very nice choice other than others and but even with that I think our values and the thing that my colleague and, and Drucker sort of spoke to, these values are the source of all of it, right? Yeah. And as we celebrate Thanksgiving, it's for me, you know, as I contemplate the my bandwidth of change, the ability for me to make choices in my life about what I get to do and what I choose to do, well, I just am really grateful for how wide that bandwidth is. And, and you know, over the last 18 months, it has shrunk considerably. Uh-huh. It has expanded considerably. It is a dynamic thing, this bandwidth of change that you find. And, you know, even with a wide bandwidth, those decisions to change jobs like you have, like yeah. my friend has, like, you know, 
Those are no less emotional, they're no less difficult, and they're no less complex. But what we can be grateful for is the fact that they're decisions we get to make. Yeah, right? they're choices that we get to make. Yeah. So that's what I'm thinking about this Thanksgiving. Yeah. No, I <clears throat> I think that's a great thing to be thankful for, and I I completely uh, completely agree with that because there are so many people that don't have that choice, um, and not I don't just mean um, people that are in a sort of bad economic situation, but it, you 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 can find yourself just without the confidence or whatever it is that to to make the change that you really need to make for yourself. Exactly right, yeah, and yeah. it's and it's and it's not just even you know it, even going. You know, certainly confidence is a, is a, is a big one, and yeah. and it and it's it's this. You know, there's often a there's often this feeling right where this. You know, and you get preached this mm -hmm. on occasion, which is you just need to be brave enough to, yeah. you know, to make the tough choices and you need to be, you know, you need to, to, to have the courage and you need to, you know, there's that whole sort of trope of, you know, step off the cliff and wait <laughs> for you to sprout wings before you hit the ground. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and, and you have to do that. And, and of course, a lot of that advice is nice and it's good and yeah. it's interesting and, and you take it and you sort of do what you will with it. But when it comes down to it, it's about your, you know, the, the feeling and confidence that you have mm. to make a choice at all. Yeah. Right. In other words, if you're, you know, if you're behind the eight ball and paying rent and getting your mm -hmm. car paid for and getting your family taken care of your bandwidth of choice on this kind of thing is like, you know, my friend would have never been able to consider that. Right. Yeah. And it's like, you know, I just don't like what I do. And so I'm going to change. Yeah. And we're in this environment right now where there's this, you know, there's this feeling out in the world, this great resignation thing yeah. where, you know, a lot of people are making these decisions, I think, in, in, you know, in, in greater numbers, A, because they feel like they can. Yeah. Um, and I think that puts an increased pressure on those who feel like they can't. Yeah. And, 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 and so those who feel like they can't, it's it's one of those things where how do we help them increase their yeah, of yeah, change, right? yeah, yeah. you know where they can feel like they can have the choice because ultimately that's beneficial for them and it's beneficial for us well and um you know there's a lot of pressure isn't there on business on social media and i don't just mean the facebook's now this world of linkedin and stuff you know because everybody celebrates their their achievements and what they've done. And if you're, if you're a new business owner, I've had that conversation with Eric Fulwider a few weeks ago where he was talking about the pressure of starting his own agency and all, he, all you hear about are the success stories and how everybody's crushing it. But it's also the same as an individual navigating your career, particularly, I think, what, what resonated with me when you were talking about your friend is, I'm in a good job, I'm well paid. I just don't think I'm the, in the right place. And, and the job is relatively fulfilling, but there's that extra sort of, I don't know, is it 20%, 10%, 25%, 30% that you really need to, you know, force yourself to, to move in order to fulfill that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it, and, and it's, and it's unique for everybody, right? Yes. You know, it's like, yeah. what is that, you know, where does that, you know, yeah. pin hit you in the ass before you have to get up out of the chair. Right. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and it's like, you know, for a lot of people, they, the thing, I guess that the, what it really comes down to is, you know, at some point, you know, 
everybody will, you know, make that choice. And it's always a scale, right? Of how much pain and or, you know, discomfort you want to put up with before you, uh, before you make a choice to go do something different. And I think what's particularly rich about this is this bandwidth of choice is, is, you know, is based on not discomfort Mm -hmm. necessarily. Uh because at a certain point discomfort is merely dissatisfaction right yeah and it's it's not you know i mean if you know i mean we often call this like first world problems right yeah yeah. you know it's a first world problem that i you know i'm overpaid for this job that i do and i don't love it right so i want to look for something else yeah and that is truly the definition of a first world (laughs) problem right and having the bandwidth be that wide where you can make those kinds of choices is a real blessing and it's something to be thankful for absolutely and um you know thinking about that choice about voluntarily moving companies i mean um, i've had a long storied career and there have been times where my job change wasn't my decision you know so right. you know exactly. a company runs into economic difficulty and i'm sure there's lots of organizations that are in that spot now so yeah having having i, I like that having the bandwidth of change in your control is definitely something to be thankful for so i think that's a great yeah, thought exactly. for this week so uh so robert when people are um stuffed with their their turkey and uh, and perhaps experimenting with some cocktails uh, hopefully with a broader range of liquor than i have on my desktop bar and they're looking for thoughts of this nature where might they find them oh they shouldn't they should just take <laughs> a moment to pick up a paper book and read something else how about killing marketing should do. and save it and basically save anything where they're going to go read digital content for for another day <laughs> is what they should do well um imagine they didn't have any books (laughs) and all they had was access to the internet (laughs) where where would they go uh i would send them to (laughs) some sort of video game or netflix or somewhere else where they can actually go enjoy something entirely different than marketing well i tell you where i go when i want to give thanks (laughs) i go to contentadvisory.net uh, oh, little hovel okay. Yeah. On the I suppose if you have run, <laughs> here's what I would suggest. If you've run the internet dry, like if you've reached the end of the internet, yeah. then you could probably go over to, to contentadvisory.net <laughs> and find some things. And if somebody, uh, you know, was looking for a recommendation for a book they might read and they spun the dial on the interwebs, where might they find you? Uh, you know, if they're looking for a recommendation <laughs> on a book, certainly ask me i would love to i love i love yeah, giving recommendations on book and then you can find me on all the social channels of linkedin or twitter or anything like that excellent and that's actually true because you because at the beginning of my I, I am true. happy i am one of those happy guys who would happily recommend books. yeah so. yeah and you did i mean you recommend about five books which started my marketing library because uh, you knew me when i first started becoming a marketer so uh, I, I i i attest to that truth of that so anyway so uh, it'd be great to talk about books. absolutely um but after Thanksgiving, uh, will I see you in the bar? Well, of course. That'd be splendid. I look forward to it. Thank you, mate. Thank you, Robert. Giving thanks there for the choices we have as we head towards the US holiday. A really nice thought that I hope finds you in the fortunate position to have the gift of choice. <laughs> Thank you. 
So that's a wrap on episode 89, the Rockstar CMO Effing Martin podcast. Thank you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox, selecting our track, and jiving along with us. I've been your host, Ian Truscott. Thanks again to Jeff, Drew, and Robert for joining me and for sharing their insight. Please check out their work. I'll include their links and all the things we discussed in the show notes, which you can find on your favorite podcast app or at rockstarcmo.fm, where you can also find all our previous episodes. So, does the world need another Epping Martin podcast? Let us know with a nice rating or review in your favorite podcast app, or share your thoughts with us at Rockstar CMO on Twitter or LinkedIn, or just keep listening. I'm glad you're here. Next week, Jeff is off for the holidays. I'm chatting with Jeff Coyle, co-founder of Market Muse, which is definitely one for you content geeks. And Robert will be in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar. Until then, happy Thanksgiving to you in the US. Have a great week. I hope you'll again join us here next week at Rockstar CMO FM. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.